0: Good morning and welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. My name is Carol Merriweather and I'm the college minister here. And I would like to welcome all members and visitors and guests here with us today. If you are a visitor and guest, if you would uh, grab the card in the pew back in front of you and complete it and turn it into the offering plate later in the service, that'll give us the opportunity to connect with you later in the week. So, welcome a new year, a new time to start over, to write those resolutions, to be the best version of yourself. Uh, As a one on the Enneagram, uh, probably your classic one on the Enneagram, uh, uh, and uh, just a person who likes to do lists and resolutions, Uh, this can be one of uh, my favorite times of the year. As I get ready uh, to to be to take on the new year, a new me. If you're wondering why church started a few minutes late today, it's because I was late uh, to church today. Because even though I can some, most mornings make it here in time to teach the college Sunday school class, uh, today, when I didn't have to be here till 1045, I couldn't make it. We come to the new year often expecting ourselves to magically morph uh, into a new person, uh, for the year to be radically different, for us to change overnight and to be this magical, mystical version of ourselves. At least I do. And then two or three weeks in, as life kind of settles in, I start feeling this sense of despair and sadness as I realize that once again, I'm not this perfect being that I thought that I could be. Uh, And I imagine that 2017, as it is showing that it will be will continue in this pattern. But luckily, life isn't actually all about me, and I'm not facing this new year uh, to save myself by my own merit, Um, but I am bringing in 2017 all of my imperfections, all of the pain from the previous years all of the joys and relationships and most importantly the love of God is here in 2017 just as it was in 2016 and as sometimes it's so easy to do as we face the new year um, that we begin to focus again on ourselves Um, we forget that we just celebrated Christmas Christ here among us God's love, perfection, because we aren't and won't ever be. And so today we come as imperfect, late people in pain and joy, and we recognize that we are here to worship a God who loves us deeply and is present with us, Christ Emmanuel. Welcome to worship.
1: return again, with his Father's glory or the earth to reign. For the day is coming when each knee shall bow, so let hearts confess him King of glory.
2: We come this morning, on this Epiphany Sunday, longing for your light. We come come weary and tired from a long and difficult journey, as the Magi once did. We come to bring our best and lay it at your feet. We come to worship you who became flesh and dwelled among us. We come because the world around us often seems to be enveloped in darkness and our eyes are having difficulty seeing and adjusting to the dark. We come in need of your light, and we ask for your help to reflect your light in this dark world.
3: Amen.
4: Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. We are all afraid sometimes. Maybe we see something on the news that makes us afraid, or maybe we see a scary movie with our friends that we can't stop thinking about, or maybe we have to go to the doctor and we're scared. What are some times when you might be afraid? Getting shots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Having surgery. hmm Chances
0: of tornadoes.
4: hmm When there's a tornado or bad weather.
0: When someone in my family is very sick.
4: When someone in our family is sick. hmm You're right. These are times when anyone would be afraid. And when we're afraid, we can know that God is with us. Have you ever experienced a time when you knew that God was with you and you didn't have to be afraid? Maybe it's just a simple remembering that God is there and God loves us and God's presence and God's protection is always with us. God is always, always with us. And because God is with us, it doesn't mean that we won't be afraid but it means that God is there with us in the scary times. And we can know and trust that God is with us. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being with us. Help us to know your presence and your light with us always, even when we are afraid. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Look. To see the brightness of God, I want to look at Jesus. the Son of Righteousness, shine on my path, and show me the way to the Father. In him there is no darkness at all, the night and the day. Of God, shine in
5: my heart, Lord Jesus. I'm
1: looking for the coming of Christ. I want to be. Of God shine in my heart, Lord Jesus, Ephesians one, three through fourteen.
6: In the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace that He has lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, He has made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure that He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness in time, to gather up all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ we've also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord.
1: I am not skilled to understand What God has willed, what God has planned I only know at His right hand Stands one who is my Savior I take Him at His word and deed.
5: Christ died to
1: save me, this I read and in my heart I find a need of him to be my Savior, that he will leave his place on high and come for sinful men to die. You counted strange, for oh, once did I. Before I knew myself, my savior lost, my savior lives, my savior's always there for me, my God he was, my God he is, my God is always gonna be, my Savior lost, my savior list, my savior's always there for me, my God he was, my God he is, my God is always gonna be. I strength, my solace from this dream That he who lives to be my king Once died to be my savior That he would leave his place on high And come for sinful men to die in strength so once did I. Before I knew my Savior, my Savior lost, my Savior lives, my Savior's always there for me. My God, he was, my God, he is, my God is
5: always going to be. My Savior lost, my Savior lives, my Savior's always there for me. My God, he was, my God, he is, my God is always going
1: to be. My Savior loves, my Savior lives, my Savior's always there for me. My God, He was, my God, He is, my God is always gonna be. My Savior loves, my Savior lives, my Savior's always there for me. My God, He was, my God, He is, my God is always gonna be. I am not skilled to understand.
5: What God has willed, what God has planned, I only know at his right hand,
1: stands one who is my Savior.
3: A reading from the Gospel of John. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory the glory of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one, who ha- no one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who made him known. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Oh God, with this good confession ringing in our ears we pray that it might sink deeply into our hearts here for a moment evermore and evermore, ever deeper and ever deeper. Let us here for a moment beyond distractions rest in the reality that we're loved and forgiven. We know day to day how limited we are. We know week by week and year by year that we carry so much of what the world is. And yet, we can step again into your goodness and grace and into your light here in this moment. Help us to do that. You desire truth in our inward being. So teach us wisdom in the sacred heart. Amen. The tradition about the fourth gospel is that it's written by John the Apostle. Uh, Some wonder if it's not necessarily John's hand right there, but maybe John in Ephesus where he was pastoring, like most teachers and preachers, is telling stories and Offering teaching, and he has a community. And over time, disciples maybe begin to weave all John's favorite stories together in a kind of masterpiece that gets published towards the end of the first century. You can imagine this, right? And you need to because this is a divine-human document. So people are involved in this—a community, a part of shaping what this is. They're trying to understand and live the gospel there in the first century. So they have this apostolic material, and year in and you're out there handling that and, and maybe you can picture all of these sacred stories beginning to find a kind of inspired order as they go through the year and this order becomes formational for them and, and maybe transformational. And begins to help them see in a kind of visionary way, which is where John seemed to always live, right? Way up here. Does anybody know what the symbol for John's gospel is? If you're in a church looking at stained glass anywhere in the world, you might see it. Does anyone know? It's the eagle. That's, when you see the eagle, it's referring to John's gospel because that's where John wants to take us. This visionary way of understanding what God was doing during the incarnation so you can see these stories right congealing into this inspired order but then someone eventually when they put pen to papyrus had to write a prologue and maybe it was john or John's scribe or one of his disciples or another pastor that follows him or maybe a poet they come along and they write this beautiful prologue a friend of mine along the way decided it was a better maybe even to call it an overture and I really like that you know what an overture is right you you know what's coming when you've had an overture it's a a kind of a beginning point right an invitation for everybody to engage and that's the way it is when we go to one of those old musicals right one of the ones you did in high school right the band starts the the orchestra plays the overture and if you've gone to see Oklahoma you're going to hear what somebody just holler one out oh what a beautiful morning right what else uh f- there you go friends with a story on top and everything's up to date in kansas city and and then you you go the next year or your high school does sound of music right what are you going to hear then yeah the hills are alive how do you solve a problem like maria i am 16 edelweiss so in this overture to John's gospel, you're going to hear the essential kind of melodies that John's been working with over a long time. You remember, we, we think John was young. He was very intimate with Jesus, has his head on Jesus' heart at the Last Supper. So here he is in this community and you know how we preachers are we just have lines that we like and things that we say we really only have about one sermon we just kind of frame it differently every week right so he says these these things that are sort of his lines in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and yeah the light shines in the darkness but the darkness isn't overcoming it maybe another sermon he finds himself saying the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world Maybe a sermon on belief, he's talking about how believing somehow gives people access to being children of God. No one's ever seen God, but the son who's at his side knows and has made him known. So this theology's coming out of him in a a lyrical way, and maybe you can picture this group worshiping in a church, and John along the way begins to say a line, and they just say it back to him. He says he has made the father known and he just kind of looks and it's almost like saying and all the people said right and he looks at him and they all say he has made him known eventually the whole church is just saying these lyrical lines with him this theology of John is becoming their theology these core truths are part of what they're doing in worship so when it was time to publish this thing and get the papyruses out there was no question for the community what they were going to turn to when the prologue was written, all these melodies that were going to set up the drama that unfolds. And you really have to think of John that way. It's really more like a play, John is. A few few paragraphs later, still in the first chapter, uh, some disciples of John the Baptist are following Jesus. And he turns around and there's this great, very loaded line where he looks at them and says, What do you want? What do you want? And they say to him, We want to know where you abide, a big word for John, where you, where's home base for Jesus? And he says to them, Come and see. So come and see. If you want to know where I abide, come and see. And in every chapter, on every page, that's what happens in John. The curtain goes up, and there's another sort of. Uh, scene that gets acted out, and the curtain comes down, and it goes back up, and there's another scene. There's no teaching in John, no parables, no sermons, only scenes for us to see that John says are revealing God's glory in Christ, and they're all hinted at. They're really all framed in the prologue, in the overture here on page one. Here's what we're supposed to be looking for in the story of God, this is what we need to expect in this gospel, And I should just say, right here at the beginning, we ought to be expecting the same thing in the gospel story that's being made known in our lives, the one that you're living, the one that I'm living. The overture says to us, "Listen for this, these themes, themes like in the beginning, and of course, all the Jewish ears in John's church would hear. This is another Genesis in the beginning, another beginning. We're about to hear a new story of God's creation, God's creative work in the world. It's a melody uh, in God's world that we ought to all be listening for, especially in a new year, right? Listening for what's new in the world and what God seems to be up to. So Jewish ears would hear that, but John's bilingual, of course. Everybody would be, and bicultural. So as he writes... And he thinks about all those folks sitting in his church that are not Jewish. In the beginning, he says, was the word, the logos in Greek, and this, this word that had all the Greek ears perking up in the pew because they knew this basic teaching, this Greek philosophy, that there was somehow some life, some force, maybe even kind of like the force, right, in the movies, right, that was above and in and through all things, animating all things. That's the way they thought about it. So in one phrase, John has them all, bringing Jew and Greek together in this universal story. John's gospel is that way. It's a unitive gospel. It takes us beyond dualistic, the dualistic mind. Right there in the first paragraph, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, both and. So you have to hear this melody. If you follow Jesus long enough... You should expect the gospel story to take you further into this kind of unitive knowing and and getting beyond those things that are always either or or us and them or black and white in the first line of the gospel entices us all behind that, beyond that. The Word, the Logos, was with God and was God, both. This visionary gospel comes back to these things themes and the stories that you're going to see, they're going to unfold. In chapters six through nine, the gospel is referring to God as Father a lot. The Father has sent me. I'm just doing what the Father says, but then declaring, I and the Father or one. And to most people, you'll remember maybe those chapters listening to that, this sounds like blasphemy in a big way rather than deep awareness of the truth it's always that way when someone begins talking up here right for the rest of us muggles down here the first response is always to their ears it's always that's heresy towards the end you you remember jesus's prayer he's thinking about his followers in john and he prays that they be one this is not a prayer that everybody get along and not argue about doctrine or the color of the carpet This is a prayer that they will see what is true spiritually may they be one just as you are in me and i'm in you may they be in us this kind of ontology truth with a capital t inviting us to see our own intimacy with god and our own capacity to participate right there in the trinity the writer of john says in the upper room knowing that he came from god And he would return to God. He washes their feet. The Logos was from God and was God. And the Logos, the Word, became flesh, the Overture says, and dwelt among us. It's another one of those big ideas, a big Word, certainly a great Jewish concept. This idea of being enfleshed, sort of tabernacled, contained in a way for a time, for a moment, maybe. God is beyond us and with us, totally infinite, completely imminent, just right here. It's a paradoxical tune. But maybe the main melody of the Christian faith, the central confession that we make, this is it. What is out there is utterly here. It's with us. It's enfleshed. And later John's going to write in his epistle to the church what we have handled with our hands. God shows up in the flesh is this essential melody that you listen for in his book, right? The the stories that follow the prologue, Jesus is always doing these very earthy kind of things, these very human things. Goes to a wedding, tears up the temple, sits at a well and drinks the water. He eats the bread and gives the bread. He spits on the ground and makes some mud, healing mud. He weeps at a friend's grave. He washes dirty, dusty feet in the upper room, and after the resurrection, he breathes on them. That's Pentecost in John. It's bodily. He tells Thomas, Put your hand inside here. Come on, right here. Put it right here. And then he has breakfast. I'm thinking fish tacos in the Sea of Galilee. The Logos, the agent of all creation. The Lord of all creation is eating fish tacos on the beach in the last scene. That's where we look. That's the melody we're listening for in this gospel drama, the stuff of our lives. You have to, for the sake of your soul, you have to begin to see this God who made you and the one who is saving you in what is earthy in your life and what's real and dusty and frail and vulnerable. That's what you need to be listening for. The light, the prologue continues, enlightens everyone. John's pretty clear from the beginning about this light, that it's everywhere, in everyone. It is in everyone. So the next time you're in a conversation with someone who believes that God is not in a non-Christian, you need to point them to John's prologue. And you can tell them that they're not being biblical. And you can say that they're a heretic and you're quoting the Baylor chaplain on that, and we'll hope I don't get fired or something, but you've got John's gospel on your side here. If we're familiar with the melodies in the gospel, we're never going to be surprised where God shows up. We're never going to be surprised that someone may be very godly who believes different than we do about God. John, in fact, is inviting us to listen for and look for that very thing. It is every where it's in everything and everyone, God is universal. It's a Johannine melody. The light's in everyone and it's enlightening everyone and it comes into the world in Christ Jesus and it's shining in the darkness and you get this other riff on this particular melody here. From the beginning, right there in chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus when? In the night. And then at the end of the story, the women in the tomb in John's Gospels show up. It's not this way. In the other Gospels, they show up at the tomb in John's Gospels, and it's still what? Dark. There's the melody, light and dark. On three occasions, he says to them, if you'll follow me, you'll be walking in the light. Three times, follow me, you'll be in the light. The logos is the light, and the light is shining in the darkness, and the darkness is not going to overcome it, and don't we need to hear that in these days? Don't so we need to remember it every morning when we face what's challenging to us? Listen for it. Listen for that tune. Darkness isn't going to overcome the light in your life. On these melodies go. It's, it's sort of a Johannine mashup. There's a belief melody in John. Pretty significant. And 20 years, 20 centuries later we really mishear this melody so often because we make it primarily about propositions and something cognitive. And it's not that those propositions and doctrines and things are irrelevant or not important. It's just that the word belief is much bigger than that. It really, faith is bigger than that in the first century. That word is one of those full words that's describing what's right at the heart of you. What's, what's your core? What animates you? Where are you trusting In what? Where do you lean and leap? We get this wrong a lot. John 3.16 Whosoever believes leaps and leans into Christ will not perish, won't live in death, but will have everlasting life, will know the fullness of life. We mishear this tune. It's really not a doctrinal melody. I think primarily, uh, you know, teaching you sort of what to whistle so that you can get through the early gates having learned the right tune and gotten it down right it's not that at all this is an epic anthem about being fully alive in god holistically alive in christ and finally this overture you heard it it really more than hints at what i want to call an epistemological tune an epistemic tune how do christians know what they know How do Christians believe what they believe? And we're supposed, it's clear, we're supposed to start and end with Jesus. The character of Christ. The life and teachings of Jesus. The Christ narrative. This is our authority. And John makes that clear. He's referencing, you know, John the Baptist. And as great as he is, it's not John the Baptist. It's not even Moses anymore. And I think we would add to that list as blessed as, as we are by Paul's writings, it's not the prophets, it's not Leviticus, it's not even the teachings of the church as important as they are, or even the text of our sacred stories as central as it is. It's Jesus. Our authority is the Jesus we've come to know in the Gospels of the Bible, yes, and also in the Gospels of our lives. Haven't you encountered Christ? It's Jesus who has made God known, and isn't that knowing personal for you? Shouldn't we be listening for that, especially as Baptists, in a kind of radical way? No one's seen God, but Jesus, and Jesus has made Him known. And he becomes our hermeneutic, not just as we read the Bible, but as we watch our lives and look for Jesus in the world. Jesus is going to show up to lead you and to teach you, to save you. Our faith is that our relationship to Christ is personal. Yes, we have our faith, and it is about God saving the world, but it's also about you and your life in 2017 about what you're becoming. Are you interested in that? What do you want? Come and see. Come and see is what Jesus says to all of his disciples always, to all of us. This is God's overture to you and to me. Are you interested? Then come and see. As this beautiful story and these ultimate truths unfold in your life, If it's true, it's going to be true there. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen right there. Oh God, of truth that is beyond us and eternal and yet somehow a gift to us. We say yes again today. We will open our eyes with great hope in a new year. That we might see you, and we might perceive how and where you are abiding in this world. Where is your home that we might join you right there and abide with you? We let go of all that has been and say yes to all you were doing here in the beginning. We say yes to you again and to the invitation to follow, to come and see Amen. As our leaders come to worship, we'll sing together a great hymn that reminds us that it's not just our truth, but it is our truth. And we sing it together as we're declaring our faith here at the new year. Would you join us as we stand to do so?
7: on from age to age. The church from her dear Master received a gift divine, and still that light is lifted on all the earth to shine. It is the chart and compass that all eyes voyage through. Mid mist and rocks and quicksands still guides, all Christ, us your wandering pilgrims by this hard path to grace till clouds and darkness end we see
8: We'll be coming to different stations around the sanctuary for the Lord's Supper this morning. You'll receive a piece of bread and then you may dip it into the cup. Please exit your pew on the right and then return on your left. And if you'd like to receive communion at your seat, just raise your hand and a deacon will gladly bring it to you.
9: Children who have not yet made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ are invited to come to the front here to receive a blessing. O Holy God, through the seasons of our lives, we struggle to know you. We wrestle with questions and doubts and what it means to be faithful, to lose our lives in order to save them, and to take up our crosses and follow you.
8: We try to hold fast to all that is good and true, but even so we sin, and we are not faithful to our best selves. We long to know your saving presence with us especially when life challenges us to be courageous and to be wise. Like Jesus' disciples, after he had gone from him, we look for the signs of your love and of your strength, signs of life's deep meaning and goodness. In our faith we find those signs, especially when we remember hell. On the night Jesus was betrayed and the night before he died, Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, He broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. He said to them, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
9: In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as you eat this bread and drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
8: May these gifts of bread and juice be signs and substance for us of your presence with us and throughout creation. May they strengthen us to live with power and compassion in the assurance of your ultimate blessing. Amen. Please come to the table.
6: to send the signal of like, stay standing, in. yeah, so a few announcements as, as we close. It's great to be back together after the holidays and good to see so many faces back in here. Our women's retreat is coming up in two weeks, January 20th through 22nd, but today is the last day to register, so if you've been meaning to do that, see a member of our planning team in the Welcome Center. Also, we're excited that our Wednesday night meals and Wednesday night activities are all starting back up again this week. And so we hope you'll join us for dinner, for English classes. I know Kelly Homeyer would love to talk to you about ways to get involved in that ministry, Enneagram group, children's and youth activities, intergenerational choir. There's lots of ways to plug into what God is doing here on Wednesday nights. So we hope you'll join us.
2: Now brothers and sisters. To God, who by the power at work within each one of us is able to do far more than we ask, far more than we can even imagine. To God be the glory in Christ Jesus and in his church and in each one of us. Amen.
7: Watch for this, Lord Jesus shall return again with his Father's glory o'er the earth to reign. For the day is coming when each knee shall bow. So let hearts confess him, King of Glory. Now in peace. Amen.